Well, I hope you all are doing well, and uh, it's good to have Jackson in the, the bands back together, man. What? Yeah, the yeah. <laughs> but it stays here. <laughs> um, well, good morning. I hope you're having a good day, and I hope you're ready for what God has to say for us. Um, I'm excited as uh, just what God's been speaking to my heart this week and what He's laid upon my heart to deliver to His people this morning through His Word, and just unwrapping that. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, I'd like to encourage you to make your way to the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 11. Uh, we're moving out of the Gospel of, of Matthew into the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to finish our series of prayer next week in the Gospel of John. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 11 this morning. So we've spent time in this series walking through the Lord's Prayer, looking at the principles of prayer uh, as we've walked through what Jesus taught. Uh, we've seen uh, that we are called to be a people of prayer. Last week we spent time looking at practices of prayer. Yeah, you're catching the P theme. Uh, so today, we'll stick with P's, the persistence and perseverance of prayers, what we'll be diving into this morning. We'll be in Luke chapter 11, our primary text. Uh, will come from verses 5 through 13. Warren Wiersbe wrote that lack of prayer does not handicap us, it paralyzes us. And the passage we're looking at this morning it begins in verse 5, in which we're going to just uh, have the Holy Spirit unwrap to us. But it comes from a request back in verse 1 of, of chapter 11 there in the Gospel of Luke. If you're, if you're struggling to find Luke, Matthew, Mark, and Luke in the New Testament uh, right before John. But verse 1 says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And we might be familiar with it, but just in case we aren't, Jesus had a habit of getting away to pray. He made it a priority in his life. Many times in his ministry, he would break away from the ministry that was going on. He would break away from the people that were always wanting to be with him. He would even break away from his disciples just to get away and to be with God. He would do it in the morning. He would do it late in the evening. But he made it a priority. And it's one of these occasions. We don't exactly know when. We don't know when the certain place is. That's not the point of the request. The request is they know Jesus has made this a priority. They've seen John. Some of Jesus' disciples were, in fact, John the Baptist's disciples. That's the John spoken of here. So they've seen John uh, teach his disciples how to pray. And they come to Jesus, who's now their rabbi, their teacher, with a request, teach us just as John taught his disciples. And I imagine they see this priority in Jesus' life, and they want Jesus to teach them how they can unlock the power of prayer. They've already had this conversation with him as he has sent them out. They had issues casting out a demon in a particular individual, and Jesus told them that it can only come through much prayer and fasting. So there was power in prayer that they wanted Jesus to unlock. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, there is uh, what we know as the Lord's Prayer. It's not as detailed as Matthew chapter 6 in that recording. Uh, there's a reason for that, but we don't have time to dive into it. We're going to pick up in verse 5, because after Jesus teaches what we call the Lord's Prayer, and 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 even though this falls in a different time period from when Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, 
Here's most likely what happened is Jesus probably taught similar lessons over and over again, maybe in different ways, using parables, different stories. And so he goes back to this teaching that he's already given on the Lord's Prayer, even though it's a different time period within the ministry with his disciples. He goes back, reminds them of the Lord's Prayer, and then gives them what we would call an illustration, which we're going to be focusing on this morning as we deal with persistent and persevering in prayer. So let's read the word of the Lord and beginning in verse 5 and we'll read through verse 13. And he, this is Jesus speaking, said to them, that would be the disciples, those closest to Jesus. This is not a teaching point for the entire group of people. This is just the 12 that is with him at this moment. He says, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he'll answer from within, Do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend or his companion, his comrade, yet because of his impudence, uh, you may read perseverance there, we'll get back to that in a second, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, verse 9, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Verse 11, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more would the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Let's pray again real quick. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the blessing of Your presence in this place and just being able to stand upon the promises that we who have accepted Christ are Your children. And Father, we are not forsaken. We are claimed by You. We are owned by You. We are adopted by You. We thank You for that incredible mercy, that blessing of grace that You've given in our life. Lord, we come before You now in complete need of you to do what only you can do in this place, that you would unwrap the scriptures for us, that your spirit would speak to our heart, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart, Lord, that is softened to be able to apply what you have laid before us in this moment. Lord, move me out of the way. I cannot speak in the wisdom that needs to be spoken, nor with the ability to uh, bring conviction upon any heart in this place. And so I ask your spirit just to speak through me to use me as an instrument of your righteousness. And I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ here this morning that they would not only hear your word, but they would be able to accept it and apply it. Father, I also pray for those individuals here this morning that may not know you as their Lord and Savior. You know everybody's heart in this place. There's not a person hidden from you. There's not a thing in anybody's life here this morning that's hidden from you. You know our eternal salvation destination right now. And so for those who don't know you as our Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that your spirit would just open their eyes and ears to know this truth and to know how that can change before we leave here. But Lord, be our shepherd, guide and lead us, provide for us what we need to be provided for through this passage. And we give it all to you and ask that you alone be glorified in it. And praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. So let's walk. This is Jesus teaching on the Lord's Prayer, and he moves into this illustration, uh, kind of set up like a parable um, uh, in, in a way. Um, but we're going to divide it up, and we're going to start with the first section, which will be verse 5 uh, through verse 7. I'm sorry, verse 8. Uh, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at this, and I want to break it down. So we've got the host friend, we've got the traveling friend, 
and then we've got the neighbor friend. We're going to break it down like that because according to the text, they're all called friends, which means they're all companions of some sort. And so the, the passage begins with a sort of parable or story. And one common misinterpretation dealing with verse 5 through verse 8 is that the friend, the host friend, goes to his neighbor friend's house and the neighbor friend is to be an image of God. And that is a common misinterpretation of the text because if you read through this, we can rest assured that when we come before God with our prayer request, God is not like a grumpy neighbor. Okay? He's not grouchy when we come before him and tells us to go away. That's not the image of God. What Jesus is doing here, again, he's speaking to his disciples. He's painting this scenario to which they could possibly have had in their own life so they can understand the teaching of prayer and how prayer is supposed to impact their own life as well as ours today. So here's the story and how it plays out. There is an unexpected traveler who arrives to an unprepared host's house who seeks out an unwilling neighbor. But the host remains unrelenting in pursuing something the traveler and he are undeserving of receiving. So in our life, the way we relate is we have unexpected situations that happen in our life which leave us at time feeling unprepared. The car breaks down. The refrigerator starts work, stops working. Something goes wrong, right? That is an unexpected event which leads us feeling unprepared. And so we come before God and, because we feel like that situation is unwilling to bend. It just won't stop. You ever been in that situation? I just wish I could get a little breather here. It just seems like it's one thing after another. And so it seems like things are unwilling to bend. So what do, we, what do we do? We cry out to God and we're asking him to give us something that we do not deserve or that is undeserved. We're asking for God's mercy, his grace. We're asking for his intervention in that situation. So the takeaway is there are going to be unexpected events in our life that are going to happen that are out of our control in which we have to turn to situations that are turned to something that is more powerful than us. The, the lesson I really want us to take as we walk through this is, it, is in the midst of these times, these unexpected situations where we're unprepared and things seem unrelenting, in the midst of these times when we reach out through prayers, asking for God's interse intercession, we have to continue to look in the right places. And it begins with prayer. But it must be continue in our own life and beginning in the right places. Now, if I read this story and I'm, Jesus is setting up that a traveler arrives at his friend's house at midnight, I personally would be more like the grouchy neighbor in this story. I don't know who you can relate to. You may be a night person who likes to do things at night. You may be someone who just, you have the, the, the gift of hospitality and you're ready to do anything for anyone. I personally relate to the grouchy neighbor and here's why. If you show up at my house at midnight and you're wanting help, I will do my very best to show you the love of Jesus. But I am not a night person. And so what will most likely happen is I will refer you to my helper in the house so you can talk to Jamie. She's a night person. Or better yet, you can have counsel with Ethan or Abby. 
because they will love to get out of bed, but you will come to my house and like, look, I've got this going on. I will try to listen. I'll try to be Jesus to you. But then you tell me you're hungry. I will look at you in all honesty and say, bummer. I know it's not biblical, but that's probably where I'd be because I'm not a night person. We, we lived in a place where I, I remember there was a situation going on in a family's life, and I'm walking through the hallway of the kitchen, getting ready to get the coffee going. It's Saturday morning. It's 5.30 in the morning. You're asking, why am I awake at 5.30 in the morning? Because I'm a morning person. And so I wake up early. And you say, well, why don't you go back to bed? Because if you're a morning person, you can't, right? You just can't. This thing just, it, it just switches. And so you just go. And so I'm walking. You know, it's morning. It's quiet. I'm tipping down, tiptoeing down the hallway. I don't want to wake any of the kids or anybody else up because I love my mornings. And as I'm walking, I happen to look through the living room and out this big window that faces our driveway. And there is a red truck parked in our driveway, which scares me half to death because I know we don't own a red truck. So I don't know who's parked in our driveway at this moment in time, but since it's not midnight, but it's the morning, I'm more like Jesus. <laughs> so I don't get Jamie, and I don't get Ethan, and I don't get Abby. I go get my coffee going, and I go out, and I become the welcoming host in this situation. And I begin going to extreme measures just like this host does with his friend that arrives. And this passage that Jesus speaks with the disciples understood that we don't just looking at the text is the disciples understood the role a host is to have in this situation. So even though this host is unprepared, the reason he's unprepared because it's not normal for travelers in this day to travel at night. It just wasn't safe. And so for a traveler to show up at midnight to his friend's house was something that he was not prepared for and wasn't expecting. But as a host, if I'm inviting you in my house in Jesus' day, as a host, I'm expected to go above and beyond what needs to be done for you. And if, if I can't provide what you need, then shame falls upon my family. And shame falls upon my family from the entire community because people hear about it. Oh, well, he can't even take care of his own guests. And so the disciples are hearing Jesus tell the story. They're understanding the, the situation this host friend is in. And this is why he goes to the neighbor's house and asks for some help. He wants the, the neighbor to provide the resources he needs. But in doing this, the reason the grouchy neighbor doesn't want to open the door, because again, in the situation... That if I open my door to you, if you come to my house at midnight and say, hey, I could use a cup of sugar or something, and I open my door to you, what I am doing is I am allowing the shame that you have on your life in this moment now to come upon my family. And so this, this grouchy neighbor isn't being grouchy. What he's doing is he's protecting his kids and his family because of the law of hospitality of this day. That if I let you in, I'm allowing you to bring shame not only upon me, but I'm allowing you to bring shame upon my entire home. I'm accepting your burden. And notice Jesus said this angry neighbor, this grouchy neighbor, he does not open simply because of the request, but he opens there in verse 8 that he will, because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Now some passage of scripture, I read out of the English Standard Version, and some Bibles translate that word impudence as persistence. 
Matter of fact, if you have impugnance, you may have some little notation that draws you down that it sometimes reads as persistence. The reason it's, it's impudence in the ESV and maybe persistence here is because there are actually two different words in the Greek used. There's a Greek word for persistence to which Paul uses a lot in his letters. But this particular word is a completely different Greek word. The word impudence means that this neighbor is, is unrelenting in his actions to get past the circumstance of shame. So he's just not going to stop. He's going to keep banging on that door until his neighbor friend decides to open the door and give him what he is requesting. But again, it's important to note that Jesus is not painting God as the grouchy neighbor. He's given us a scenario about being uh, unrelenting in our actions, in our spiritual thing to remove the shame in our life. That's the point here, that I'm, I'm going to be unrelenting and removing the shame in my life. The point is that we have to turn to the right places to find what we truly need in life so we don't bring shame upon ourselves as Christians and ultimately, ultimately shame upon God as His people. Our pursuit in prayer is to come before a Father who is in heaven, asking for Him to intervene in our life no matter this situation. We come before God with holy boldness that He would remove the shame of sin from our life, and we do it with a state of emergency and urgency. That's the image Jesus is saying. We come to this place where we understand if God does not remove the shame that is upon me, I will be covered in sin and my relationship with him will not be deeply connected in such the way that Jesus taught through the Lord's Prayer. I will not, I'll, I'll have this issue with intimacy with him. And so I'm coming with impudence for God, please give me what I need to remove the shame from my life. And I'm going to be persistent about that. And that brings us to the second part of this, this teaching. Jesus says, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Verse 9 and 10. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. And like the previous story here, this particular passage is taken out of context and be misinterpreted. We can go before God, but what is being taught here is that, or what is believed is that we go before God and we ask God for anything. So the common interpretation of this passage is I pray to God and I ask God for whatever is upon my mind. And if I just keep knocking on the doors or the gates of heaven and I keep bringing this before God, here's what will happen. I will eventually wear God down enough that he will give me what I want. You understand? That's what we think. That's what's been taught from this passage. I just got to keep asking. I got to keep seeking. I got to keep knocking. And eventually, God will know that I really mean what I'm praying for, and He will finally break down and give me it. But that's, that's not a God worth praying to. That's not a God worthy of my worship. Jesus is not painting this picture that God is of this 
parent that can eventually be worn down by his children and given into their request just to shut them up. But you see how we interpret it that way. I'll just wear God down enough and eventually he gets so tired of me talking to him that he'll give me what I want. You see how that doesn't make any sense? What Jesus is teaching is we come before God and we ask. But then the the course of prayer isn't just the asking. It's the seeking and the knocking. This host friend goes to his neighbor's house because he doesn't have what he needs in order to cover his shame. And so he's persistent. But what is he persistent about? Yes, covering his shame, but what's the ultimate thing that started it? He's going on behalf of his traveling friend that showed up, right? This is not a selfish ambition or selfish prayer that is being led out in the story that Jesus gives us. He's thinking of another individual. And so he's wanting to take care of this other person, yes, to ultimately remove his shame, but the prayer is not selfish. And so he goes, he asks the neighbor friend for help. He seeks the neighbor friend's house and he knocks on the neighbor friend's door, which means prayer is meant to be action. It is meant to be action. We lift up our prayers, but then it's followed by action. I mean, can you imagine Thanksgiving just around the corner where we'll eat enough food to go into hibernation? Praise the Lord, right? Can you imagine showing up at your family's house for Thanksgiving dinner, Thanksgiving meal, and they look at you and say, well, we we don't have anything. We should really, we should pray about this. And we don't have food this week or this year. We don't have the stuffing and the turkey and the mashed potatoes. And some of y'all didn't hungry because it's probably didn't lunchtime for you. But what we should do, we should pray about that. Now, if that was the Thanksgiving dinner party you came to, how would you respond? We should pray about that. Would you start praying or would you like, I'm out of here? But see, a lot of times this is exactly what we do with prayer. A situation arises and what do we do? We pray about that. Good starting point. That's the asking part. But we don't continue to seek and we don't continue to knock. See, prayer is to move us to action. But a lot of times what we instead do is we come before God and we're asking him to miraculously move in our life. When the reality of prayer, if you look through the Lord's prayer, is God wants to move us out of our life. Beyond ourselves. And that's the power of prayer. God wants to move us out of that circumstance, out of that situation. But it begins with understanding. And here's how we struggle with this. Because I do this too. This last uh, week, I got to go up to Kansas City, uh, to Midwestern. I got to go to this conference. I jokingly called it uh, Pastor Camp. Um, because you know mostly pastors, and so I came back, and I think even Melissa's like, well, he's all happy on Wednesday, because I was like, yeah, Jesus, good. You know, I was on the mountain thing, and, and you know, so. Um, but excellent. Anyway, comfort's really good, excellent. Um, so I, I stayed up there, because it, it went on for a couple days, and so Monday night, I, I get back to the hotel, and it's, it's closing in on my bedtime, um, and it's been a good day of traveling, good day of conference. And so I get in a hotel, and my main goal is I'm just going to start getting ready for bed. I'm going to start to kind of slow down and, and just fall asleep. 
Um, so I turn on the TV Monday night. You know, I like football, so Monday night football is on. So I turn on TV. It's kind of background noise while I'm getting everything situated into the hotel room. I called my wife, too, so I, I didn't forget her. All right, thank you for being proud of me. Um, so, um, so I got the TV on. I got everything situated. I'm, I'm, I'm closing in on getting ready for bed, taking my little uh, contacts out. And, and uh, as I'm doing that, the TV's in the other room, if you're familiar with the way hotel rooms are typically laid out. Well, it goes to commercial. And I'm not sure if this came on in this network or if it's just in the Kansas City market. But on this commercial, I, I hear the opening line, you need a bottle of Miracle Spring water. Ooh, <laughs> that sounds really nice. And so I thought maybe it's like another form of brand, like Avion or, or however you pronounce that, Fiji, Fuji, whatever water. Um, and so I, I had to walk in. And I was like, what are they talking about? And, and here's what it was. It was a product, not joking, basically like a gas station water bottle had this little label that says Miracle Spring Water. And what you can do is this water has been blessed by a prophet. And he's willing, and he was in the commercial. He had a nice, nice robe on. He, he is willing to sell you a bottle of this water if you will call this number order it and pay for shipping and handling, you'll have this Miracle Spring Water in your hand and just hear the testimonies of this Miracle Spring Water from these few people. And it was like an individual, well, you know, I was trying to buy a house, but the bank wouldn't give me the loan. And then I got my Miracle Spring Water and I drank it. And all of a sudden I had all the finances I need and everything worked. And then this other individual, well, I had cancer and I drank Miracle Spring Water and then went to the doctor the next day and they say, you're healed. And then another person, well, my marriage was in shambles, but I drank this Miracle Spring water, and all of a sudden, like, you know, we were in love again, and everything's great, and everything worked out. And I'm like, wow, Mike and John. So we've got some canteens in the attic still, and they have Harvest Hill. We're trying to pay off this building. So <laughs> I will bless, sneeze on it, whatever you want, and we will sell you a bottle of Harvest Hill H2O, fresh out of our spigot, and... <laughs> And you can pretend all things will be better. But I couldn't help but think, how many people are actually calling this number up? Ordering this miracle spring water. They've, they're in an unexpected situation. They're unprepared for it. It seems like life is unrelenting. And so they see this commercial, and they're picking up the phone, and they're calling because they're turning to this. And I thought, wow. But how often do we do the exact same thing? And we may laugh at Miracle Spring Water, but we do it in other realms of life. We may be praying, God, we're trying to get from check to check because we got bills coming in and medical bills and things coming up all the time. And so, Lord, just if we can get some check, check, Lord, if you just bless us, you just bless us, Lord, please, 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 please. And we ask and we ask and we ask and we ask. But then when it doesn't happen, and what I've seen in my own life is I've counseled people from young to old. What happens is people get into financial situations and they ask God to intervene in their life. They, they ask him and they're seeking after him. They believe if I just keep doing it, I'll wear him down. But when nothing begins to happen and there's no miracle spring water to turn to, they turn to the bank. They take out a loan or they take out a credit. Instead of digging themselves out of the hole, they dig deeper into the hole. And people do it in their marriage life. 
oh, my relationship, my marriage is just falling apart. And they're praying for God, would you just intervene? Would you just do something? Would you make my wife, would you make my spouse just fall in love with me all over again? God, please, please, please. And they are asking God, but instead of seeking God, they go to all these peers and all these people in their life and say, what would you do in this situation? How would you handle this? Have you ever gone through this? And what ultimately or sometimes <laughs> happens is they go to these friends, and in the midst of going to these friends, they find companionship. And so instead of seeking God, they begin breaking their marriage down even further. And we do it with our kids, too. Oh, my kids, my kids, oh. God, would you just do something with my kids? I mean, I got preacher's kids, so, you know, come on. I need extra prayer. God, my kids, my kids, my kids. And so we come to church, and we say, Jason, I know I've got my kids, like, all the hours in the week, but you do your miracle spring water in this hour you've got them. You, you, you fix them. I sit them. I, I have the ability to sit at, at the table with them and eat dinner with them. I have the ability to sit in my home with them. I know where they sleep. I provide clothes for life, but they're driving me nuts. So, Jason, I give you an hour to fix what's wrong with my kid. Or we do that with the church. I don't know what to do with these, so I'm going to bring them to church. And the amount of time I'm giving the church to minister to my kid, I hope they fix him or her. And we go after Miracle Spring Water. What is Jesus teaching when he says, ask, seek, and knock when it comes to our prayer life? So I, I come before my father because I am his child. That's an incredible promise right there. I come before a father who knows everything about me. Nothing hidden in my life. He knows my struggles. He knows what I'm wrestling with. He knows the frustrations I have. He knows my lack of faith in, in times of, of need. And I come before him and I ask him, God. But what Jesus teaches in unlocking the power of prayer is not just asking, but I have to seek and I have to knock. So God, I need help with my marriage. I, I need something going on. There is just not going the way it should be. God, would you please help me? You know what God does? A husband should love his wife as Christ loved the church. So I ask God and then I, I seek what God has already revealed in his inerrant, perfect word. And when I'm asking God, what I'm allowing God to do is say, okay, am I actually doing that? Because a lot of marriage issues, parenting issues, financial issues, relational issues that we run into in life, we wouldn't have ran into if we were actually seeking what God has already said about that situation. But we find ourselves in those unexpected moments. So we say, God, help me. And God says, look, I have, if you would just knock on my word. 
My word that is truth that will never fade until all things have come to pass. If you would just knock on this, you've sought and asked in the right, right place, but now you've got to seek in this word. You've got to knock. You've got to open it. And allow me to speak that truth into your life. But a lot of times we go looking for miracle spring water. We look for that quick fix. The Bible says all scripture is breathed out by God, meaning it comes from his, his very, very lips. And it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So I need God to intervene in my life. And what God says is I ask, yes, but I seek in the places where God has already intervened. And then I allow that to shape my prayer. God, help me to be the husband that you have ordained me to be. Help me to be the father you command me to be. Help me to be the employer or boss you tell me to be. And a lot of times we get so frustrated at work that we think the solution is just to find a new place of work. But if we can't find fulfillment in the work that God has already placed before us, then how are we going to find fulfillment somewhere else? So God, help me to see work the way you have commanded work to be seen, that I am working unto you. Help me be to the boss I need to be. Help me to be the student I need to be. Help me to be the boyfriend and girlfriend I need to be. Because I need to know. God promises this. He has given us all things to pertain to life and godliness. All things that pertain to life and godliness. I want to read you this promise out of the book of Ephesians. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Do you hear that? Verse 20, Ephesians chapter 3. Who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. We may be praying for our finances or our financial situation from one check to another. God, our God, wants to open up the storehouses of heaven. We may be praying for our marriage or a relationship issue. Our God wants to enter us into the covenant of marriage and the relationship that he has defined before sin even came into this world. That's the type of marriage and relationship our God wants. We may be praying for our kids because we seem like we just keep banging our heads against the wall and they just frustrate the tar out of us sometimes. And we're like, okay, God, please, please let something happen. But what our God wants for our kids is our God wants to use me and Jamie as the father and mother to pour the love of God into their life so our kids don't just shape up. They fall head over heels in love with God. And when they do that, all these other things will start to fall into place, but it's not the relationship they're in. It's not the schoolwork they're doing. It's not their lack of attention. It's if these kids and we ourselves can fall head over heels in love with God, then all this other stuff will start to fall into place and we'll see God intervening in our life and our prayers. That's what God wants. 
He wants the very best. And we can come and knock on God's door because now we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Jesus Christ. So our greatest hindrance in unlocking the power of prayer is not that we don't ask, is that we seek the wrong places and we knock on the wrong doors. Hear that again. Our greatest hindrance in the power of prayer is not that we don't fail to ask, is that we seek in the wrong places and we knock on the wrong doors. Jesus says there in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, how much more would the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And I thought we were talking about bread, Jesus. I thought we were talking about gifts and receiving stuff. But God knows the greatest thing we need is not the things of this world, but the eternal when we go back to Ephesians in chapter 3 and that, that, that God wants to give us more abundantly all we ask or think, here's what Paul was leading the believers in Ephesus to be praying for. And now he was praying for them. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, he was praying for them that they might know the, they might know the unsearchable riches of Christ. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9, they might understand the mystery of the hidden for ages in God. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known so they might walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23, that they might be renewed in the spirit of their minds and put on the new self and become imitators of God so they might walk in love and discern what is pleasing to the Lord. It is this context in which Paul is led by the Spirit to tell the Ephesus believers that God wants to give us all that we could think more abundantly what we could think or ask, but it's not in the context of material things. It's the context of spiritual things and eternal things because if our prayers aren't focused on our spiritual heart, then it doesn't matter what happens materially. We'll always be let down. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 7, that we might understand the will of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 6, chapter 6, verse 9, that we might be the husband, wife, parent, employer, and boss that honors God. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 11, that we might be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might and put on the whole armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13 through 18, that we may be fully equipped for the spiritual battle that is this life as God's people. And so turning back to 11, Luke chapter 11, our prayers are move us to a place where we can live a life that is holy and pleasing to God. And the greatest thing we need in our prayers as we come before the Father is that He would continue to fill us with His Spirit and continue to bless us with His presence. So the persistent prayer according to Jesus' teaching is the persistent pursuer of God. If I want to be a persistent prayer, if I want to fall into the line of Scripture, then I have to be a consistent pursuer of God. Is that my prayer life? Is that our life? I don't know where everybody is this morning, but I do know this. You're just like me, and we are what Jesus calls evil. We're sinful. That's what that word means. We're sinful. And the paradox is, as a sinful father, I can give good gifts to my children. But it's a paradox because what Jesus is painting this picture of, we have a heavenly father that is not sinful or stained with sin. It is perfect. 
and holy. He wants to bless his children. But it begins with us as his children asking the right questions, seeking the right places, and knocking on the right doors. And so prayer, the power of prayer is to move us to action. Maybe you're here this morning, you've been turning to all sorts of other things to find fulfillment in your life. Even though you're saved, I mean, we all do it at times. It's something God has revealed. You know what, Lord? I have not been seeking after you in my prayer. I've been not, I have not been knocking on the word to see how you've already answered this. And I just need to repent of that. I've been churning to miracle bottle water. Maybe you're here this morning and the greatest gift you need is what Jesus says here. You need the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, without the Holy Spirit inside of you, you are not saved. You do not belong to God. That is your seal of salvation. The Bible tells us there's only one way to get the Holy Spirit. I have to believe that God loved me so much, He sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sins. And Jesus did. And He rose from the grave that I might have complete forgiveness for my sins. And when I accept that God loves me that much, and I confess it, I let it be known with my mouth, the Bible says I am saved, and God deposits His Spirit inside of me. And it helps me seek the right places and knock on the right doors. But if you're here this morning and you've yet to accept Jesus Christ, I'm not asking if you've gone to church your whole life. I'm not asking if you've read parts of the Bible or you know how to sing Christian songs. I'm asking, have you, not someone else for you, have you accepted Jesus Christ? not, then this may be the day of your salvation. I'm going ask Jackson to come up and lead us. You may be here this morning and you need to come down and say, Pastor Mike, I want, I want Jesus. I want to be saved. I want God's Spirit. Because, man, I'm going through some nasty stuff right now and I need some, some higher power. I'll be down here. You just have to come and let me know. Pastor, I want to be saved. Maybe you're here this morning and you're just going through the unexpected and life just seems like it just keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming. And God has revealed to you, you know what? I'm asking, but I'm not really seeking in the right spots. I just need to come and apologize to my Father and ask Him to give me the wisdom that He wants to give me far abundantly than I can even think or ask. He wants to give me that so I can know how to handle this thing in a pleasing way to Him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for accepting us. Thank you for your word that does not come back void. So I give this to you and ask your spirit continue to do the work it can only do. Lord, if I have said anything that is not about you, Lord, just take that out. Just take it out. Let your word continue to convict us and teach us and rebuke us so we may be prepared for every good work you've placed before us. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ right now that are going through a rough time. I thank you the way your spirit just reveals truth to our life. I thank you we don't have to go through it alone. We've got you, but we've got each other. Father, let us continue to seek after you and, and seek how you've already instructed us to handle certain situations that overwhelm us in life. I know there's individuals here that are struggling with illnesses and health and other issues that wanting understanding come before you as your child and asking you God to 
open their eyes to see what you're doing and that your hand of healing would come upon them. Marriages that may be struggling for finances that may be tight, for kids that just seem out of whack. Father, we pray that your spirit would guide us to the truth in your word, that we might be a people, holy nation of your possession. I give this time to you and ask that everything that happened here in the next couple of minutes as we come to respond, bring you and you alone glory. We pray this all in, our name, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.